wonderful to hear from people a witness to God's love in Jesus. And it's great to know about Jesus' love for us. Today, remembering what we've heard read, but let me focus from chapter 4 of Hebrews. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You may be seated as we think about this. Pictures of Jesus' love. That's what we're looking at this season. Maybe you've been with us as the season of Lent kicked off on Ash Wednesday. One of the pictures we saw, learned in the scriptures and talked about was the cleansing aspect that Jesus brings. How he washes away our sin, those things that have separated us from God. And then past Sunday about forgiveness, another word picture, another aspect of reality that helps shape this wonderful view of what Jesus is all about. And then a couple of days ago, the healingness of Jesus. How in that image we can see, as well as experience, God's love. And today, well, you've heard the scripture. It pictured Jesus as a priest, that is a high priest. I think it's interesting. I didn't come to church here last weekend. I had a little time off <laughs> to shovel snow, <laughs> but just also to rest. But I did go to church and I worshiped at our son's church. Grandkids are there, son, daughter-in-law and all the rest. And guess what he spoke about? Jesus as the high priest. Didn't have to write my sermon for this weekend. <laughs> No, but I, I did pick up a few important things, as well as a lot of important things from the book of Hebrews, because that's the book of all of them that pictures Jesus and the reality of his work this way. Maybe you recall, God is the one who started the high priesthood, and he started it a long, long time ago in Old Testament days. God's people worshipped in lots of ways, many of which are unspoken. They're not recorded. But come the time of Moses and the building of the tabernacle, a lot of things came into place for formal worship of God's Old Testament people, the Israelites. And God designated Aaron as the first high priest. Do you remember him? Aaron, the brother of Moses, the great leader. And it was under his direction that all the priests, all the Levites, operated in the tabernacle. And it was there that Aaron had a very special role as he oversaw the Levites, but as he did special things. And in the New Testament, the high priests are mentioned a couple of times, and in particular, as we read in the Gospel this morning, that there was Amos, who was a retired high priest, and his son-in-law, Caiaphas. And together they had Jesus on trial. And if we remember those two, it is in that connection in particular. But the high priest, whether Old or New Testament, had a lot of duties, but essentially two basic duties. On the one hand, it was the high priest who offered important sacrifice. 
We heard about that, a little bit more about that in a moment. And his other function was to intercede. To intercede on behalf of God's people. In other words, to pray. To pray for them. And this is how it went. The high priest, if we want to talk something about how he represented God's people, look at Hebrews chapter 5 with me. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 1, printed on the screen. There we go. Read it along with me, will you? Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. It was that priestly function to stand in between the people of God and God himself. And in a very particular way, that's what the high priest did, particularly on the Day of Atonement that you heard read about a few moments ago. The Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, as it was called in their language. And it was on that occasion, once a year, that the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the most sacred place in the tabernacle, and there he offered sacrifice the supreme sacrifice. He offered for himself a bull, a bull to atone for his sins. And then it was a young male goat that he offered for the people, for everyone else, all to make atonement. I know that's not a word we use very often. We hear it in regards to scripture and maybe our worship. Atonement. You know, someone told me once, and I think it's helpful, to take a word and break it down. At one meant. Well, the meant, you understand, at one. That's what this sacrifice did, is to bring God's people and God, at, make them at one with another. To remove the obstacles, to bring them back together. And that's the kind of picture we've got with Jesus who is, according to the book of Hebrews, our high priest. Hebrews chapter 6 tells us exactly that. And if you want to read about this in all of its detail, pick up the book of Hebrews. I know it's not one of the most often picked up books in the New Testament. It's probably a long sermon written by someone we don't know for sure, but it talks about Jesus' work in the, the picture words of being our high priest. That is, he was the sacrifice for our sins. He offered the sacrifice, which was the ultimate sacrifice, himself. A few weeks ago, we spent some time talking about our gospel DNA. What makes the good news really at its heart what it's all about? It was the last feature of that DNA, the last marker that was called self-sacrifice. That's what Jesus did. He sacrificed himself. And with that, as we learned, he gave us an example for our DNA, which we get from him, that we sacrifice ourselves. There's important scripture that brings this to light. Look at Hebrews, and as I read it, such a high priest truly meets our need. One 
who was holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. This is a special high priest. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for the sins once for all when he offered himself. Now that is a unique sacrifice, most pleasing to God because it was God's own son himself. It's also shown very clearly in 1 John. He is the atoning, let's read that with me. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know, we, we say, Jesus gave his life for me. He did. But remember, he gave it for everybody. For the sins of the entire world. All of the world. And understand that Jesus gave his life. He gave it. And to counterbalance, nobody took his life. So often when we think of Jesus' death and everything that led up to it, it was almost seems to us as though people took away his life. But Jesus gave his life. He poured it out on our behalf. Nobody took it from him. Do you remember Jesus' words in John chapter 10 when he identified himself as the good shepherd? He said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He's the one who did it on his own. And it was at the cross that it's recorded in the same gospel, the gospel of John, that Jesus gave up his spirit. He wasn't crushed by someone else. His life didn't end ultimately by another's hands, but he gave up his life. He gave it up as the ultimate sacrifice, these words tell us, and he gave it freely, freely, once and for all. That's what Hebrews tells us. It was a one-time sacrifice that's good for all and for all time. I find it interesting that the temple of God, where things moved after the tabernacle, the temple of God was destroyed in 70 AD, some 30 some years after Jesus. And guess what? Since that time, there has been no other sacrifice offered, none other offered on any temple. Jesus was the final sacrifice, whether people recognize it or not. The very unfolding of history demonstrates, it, it reinforces, it, it displays that the final sacrifice was Jesus. A lot of that may be familiar in terms of what Jesus did with that picture. But it's also true. We also uh, can remember that Jesus as high priest also intercedes for us. He prays for us. The high priest, he was a spokesperson for the people of God. They wanted to express themselves to God. They did so through the high priest who offered prayers on their behalf. And that function was probably illustrated by what God commanded the special garments for that high priest to wear. It set him apart. It, it showed him to be 
of a special role. And the key to that, with all the special garments, was what you see on the chest of that high priest. It was the breastplate. The breastplate that had 12 gems. And guess what they represented? The 12 tribes of God's Old Testament people. Listen to what that breastplate was all about. God directed how it should be made. He said, fashion a breastplate for making decisions, the work of skilled hands. Make it like the ephod of gold and of blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and the finely twisted linen. It is to be square, a span long and a span wide, square, and folded double. Then mount four rows of precious stones on it. The first row shall be carnelian, chrysolite, and beryl. The second row shall be turquoise, lapis lazuli, and emerald. The third row shall be jacinth, agate, and amethyst. The fourth row shall be topaz, onyx, and jasper. Mount them in gold filigree settings. There are to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the son of Israel, each engraved like a seal with the name of one of the 12 tribes. There it was, right over the heart of the high priest, a vivid reminder for him and all God's people that he represented them and that he prayed for them. You and I know that Jesus is our high priest and he does indeed pray for us. Hebrews chapter 7 tells us of the characteristics of our high priest Jesus. Listen, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priest, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day. You've heard this before. First for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself. That's worth hearing a couple of times as we have now. As our high priest, Jesus takes our prayers to God. Isn't that a great picture? Paul wrote to his understudy Timothy the very same thing when he said there's one mediator between God and us, the man Christ Jesus. He emphasized one part of uh, Jesus' nature, the humanity, because Jesus was connected to us as one of us, as well as connected to God as the Son of God. And it's our prayers through him that ascend to God. But catch this. He also prays for us. I said it to the children a few moments ago, and I say it to all of us, what St. Paul wrote to the Romans, that Jesus intercedes for us. We pray. God's opened that up for us to pray directly. Jesus invited us 
he opened the way, but Jesus continues to pray for you, for me, for us. That's what the breastplate of Jesus the high priest is all about. That Old Testament breastplate with the names of the tribes, that breastplate has the name of each and every one of us on it. More than 12. And that breastplate rests over the heart of the high priest, Jesus. Catch that. You and I have a place in the heart of Jesus who prays with us and for us. He loves us. That's why he prays for us. I, I know you've had the experience, or I trust you have, that as you pray, you invite others to pray with you and for you, and how special that is. And so many people will tell you, and maybe you've experienced that, that you feel it, and you appreciate it. It's a great thing. How much more to know, to remember, to realize that Jesus is praying for you. Sometimes people will say to us pastors, you know, pray for me. You got a special connection. Well, not exactly. You have the connection, but especially you've got one most important, and that is Jesus. Understand what that means. Jesus is praying for you, and he's praying for St. Michael congregation. As we pray to God for St. Michael, and as St. Michael we pray to him, Jesus is praying for us as a congregation, which is a great assurance. It warms our heart to know that at this moment, at this point in our history, as we transition, that Jesus is praying for us. And not only us. Think about this. Jesus is praying for all Lutherans and all Methodists and all Baptists and all Roman Catholics and all Orthodox and all Christians. Everywhere. All of us. That's what 1 John chapter 2 said. We heard it. We read it together a few moments ago. For our sins he sacrificed himself, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so he prays for the whole world. We pray for ourselves individually. We pray for our congregation as we remember and are especially prompted to. But we can and we need to pray for all Christians. If Jesus loves them, we can love them too. If Jesus prays for them, we ought to pray for all Christians as well. In fact, there's a wonderful passage in 1 John chapter 4 that puts it pointedly to us. It's from another translation, but look at it and read it with me. If someone says, I love God, but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God? whom we cannot see. And he has given us this command. Those who love God must also love their fellow believers. It's a great obligation, but it's a great privilege. I remember as I grew up in the 1950s and 60s, yeah, some time ago, it seemed to me as a child growing up that the, the climate was 
antagonistic against other Christians. <laughs> well, we're the Lutherans and you're whatever. And there was a bit of competition and, and almost argument at certain level among us. Gratefully, we've moved past some of that. There are differences, but the book of Revelation, we are called the Bride of Christ. Not you individually, not just St. Michael congregation, not just Lutheran, but all Christians together are the very Bride of Christ. That image, it's wonderful too. The Bride, the groom, loving each other. The issue of doctrine, yeah, that's important. But it's out of the focus of today. That could be dealt with another time. But the picture, the picture of the high priest who's offered himself for us, that's great. The picture of the high priest praying, delivering our prayers to God and praying for us, that's great as well. I trust this is a helpful image. It's one that enriches Jesus' work in our understanding of it. And not just that. There's more images, more aspects of this truth to come.